Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. On today's show, SmartWalks, SmartWalks, and more SmartWalks. It's a SmartWalks Spectacular on today's Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. Today's show is a smart lock, a locktacular, spectacular, whatever you want to call it. That, that's terrible. Let's, let's, let's not call it a locktacular. Uh, let's just call it a two-parter where I talk to two folks creating smart locks. First up is Noel Mondro, who is the CEO of LockState. You may have heard of LockState if you're familiar with the smart lock world. They have created really the first commercially shipping in, a, in a, any big volume way, uh, Wi-Fi connected smart lock for the residential space. Um, we've heard of others. Obviously, Lockatron was there uh, early with a crowdfunded one, but you know they never really hit any sort of significant volumes. Um, and Lockstate has. They've been shipping theirs for a few years now. Um, they're doing fairly well with it. So we'll talk with them. They also have a new enterprise product, and they've uh, also done fairly well in the Airbnb and vacation rental market, which is a really interesting hotspot, kind of pocket of activity uh, in smart home act in smart home technologies, particularly in the lock space. So we'll we'll get his uh, get his insights on that market. In the second part of the show, we have Kevin Henderson, who is the CEO of Westinghouse Security, which is a a company that is part of another company, which also then shares a name with Westinghouse, which is a big company, which is part of CBS. So we'll have. Kevin, to sort all that out, but really the focus of our conversation is on the Nuclei. And if you haven't seen that, it's a really interesting product that combines a couple access control types of technologies and products into one. Uh, I had never seen a smart connected doorbell also combined with a smart lock. Um, and also they have some interesting technology in fingerprint recognition. And they have three, three radios. They have Z-Wave, they have Wi-Fi, and they have Bluetooth. And, you know, normally when a company does a crowdfunding campaign, oftentimes I'll say, well, let's just hold off and, and kind of talk to them a little bit later, see how they do. Um, not all, not always. Um, I will talk to startups periodically if I think they, they're interesting and they have a good pedigree. But as you guys know, if you listen to the show, oftentimes startups doing crowdfunding take a while to ship. But with Westinghouse, they're obviously an established company. This is a product they've been working on for some time. And it's also interesting that it is a larger company doing a crowdfunding campaign. I think we're starting to see more and more of this. So uh, we chat with Kevin. Uh, we talk about their product, the Nuclei, which is a higher-end product. It's actually going to be, when it gets to retail, $400 or more. But it's got a lot of stuff packed into it. And it's also a product that actually looks like it could act in some way or another as possibly a platform because they actually have uh, an SDK and it also has Z-Wave hub capabilities in it. So we'll talk about all that with Kevin. You can hear more about that. This week, I'm not going to do any sort of deep dives to catch you up with the news. I will start getting back to that in the podcast. It's been a hectic time as we've been preparing for the Smart Kitchen Summit, which is November 5th. If you are at all interested in that, if you've been holding off, again, we have a, a special discount code for you guys. If you want to go to the Smart Kitchen Summit in Seattle on November 5th with anyone who's a leader in that space, please use the podcast code podcast at smartkitchensummit.com to buy tickets. You'll get 15% off. 
And as you may know, if you listened to last week's show, I launched a new podcast called Smart Kitchen Show, which has been in the top 10 or 15 gadget podcasts in the gadget category in iTunes. Uh, we've been doing really well. I've been getting a lot of great responses for that. I'd love for you to subscribe to it if you haven't already. Uh, go to iTunes, look for Smart Kitchen Show, subscribe, do me a favor. We'd appreciate it. But for now, thanks for listening, everyone. Here's my conversation with Noel Mondro of Blockstate. Hey, well, I'm really happy to have Nolan Mondro, who is the CEO of Lockstate. How are you doing, Nolan? I'm great. You know, we haven't had you guys on the show yet, which is actually uh, an oversight of mine because you guys actually are a really interesting company in the smart lock space. You guys are doing, uh, that that I know of, the first commercially shipping residential Wi-Fi smart lock, and you've been doing it for a while. Um, the So talk a little bit sure. about the background of the company and introduce people a little bit to Lockstate. Absolutely. Uh, Lockstate's been around for a while. We, we uh, were founded in 2004, and initially we focused on keyless locks and keyless safes. So we've been making security products for a while. Uh, we started to venture into a vertical in vacation rental, which really led us down this path of remote access and remote locks because of the need in, in that vertical. So around 2006, we came out with uh, an algorithm lock product, which allowed people to remotely create temporary codes for that vertical. And it was a fantastically received product. Uh, many, many people in the industry were starting to use it and the adoption rate really took off. And then the feedback we got was this is great, but the one component that we want you to add is the ability to actually control a lock and give us real-time alerts when my guests arrive and things like that. And so that's what prompted us in around 2011 to start investing in Wi-Fi technologies so that we could create actual connected locks. And after uh, a couple of years of development or a year or so of development, we we launched the first Wi-Fi uh, residential lock, keypad lock, into the market. Uh, did some beta testing on that, and then launched it, uh, and then have continued to iterate and and uh, improve on that product. And of course, uh, starting to be drawn more into the commercial space. Uh, a few years later, we have been working on a commercial version of a Wi-Fi lock. And the real exciting news now is we're coming out of beta on that product. And are just about to release in October uh, in full production a the, the first commercial keypad Wi-Fi lock. This is a lock uh, directly controlled from the cloud. So we've been going down this path, uh, coming from a manufacturer's perspective into the you know, the IoT space, and and really jumping full on into this uh, into into the technology and um, and really enjoying how this space is exploding, not just around our business, but just uh, across the board, uh, you know, really feels, it really feels like it, it's about to accelerate even more. So that that's where we're finding ourselves right now in this exciting environment. Let's talk a little bit about your residential Wi-Fi smart lock, because you guys were early. Uh, Wi-Fi smart locks have been an area that have proven difficult for, for others. I've written about, obviously, you know, Walkertron, they made their, their pivot to Bluetooth, and then you have uh, you have Goji, which still hasn't shipped. I was checking in on them. I think they. I don't know if they ever will. And so it's a it's a tough thing. And so talk about the specifics of your mark of of your lock and how you guys made it work. 
Absolutely. Uh, I think that when you look at technologies way back in uh, 2010, 2011, when we started deciding how we're going to approach this from a technological perspective, we reviewed what I would say are the, uh, the candidates for having a connected lock. Many people have chosen a different path, but listing those candidates, um, at least the most popular ones, I'll say, were uh, Z-Wave, other flavors of uh, radio frequency, Z-Wave, Zigbee, uh, Bluetooth, as you mentioned, and of course, Wi-Fi. Uh, I think that everybody probably, I'll, I'll make the presumption that everybody started with uh, why don't we just do this in Wi-Fi because Wi-Fi is so ubiquitous. Uh, just about every home and building already has Wi-Fi installed, and so the infrastructure is there. And the biggest hurdle with a door lock is that it is a power hog. And so People, I think, had a really difficult time trying to figure out how to get around uh, the, the fact that battery consumption wasn't satisfactory for the market. And so we spent a lot of time uh, creating uh, some workarounds and making the Wi-Fi technology work in a lock using some sophisticated heartbeating technology and uh, pulsing and, and different, different things that make the lock virtually real-time to the user – and yet preserve battery life long enough to be able to, um, to be what the market would expect. And so that's why we dove into Wi-Fi as our technology. And we spent a couple of years really figuring that out and perfecting it and then finally launching it into the marketplace. Some of the things that make Wi-Fi great as a, as a consumer and a commercial product are that you don't need a gateway in order to install the lock. So putting one of our locks, for example, on, uh, on the network or connecting it to the internet is just like going over to a Starbucks and putting your computer on their network. I mean, it's that, it's that simple. It's something everybody is familiar with and, uh, and it eliminates some of the complication that's involved if you're using the other flavors of radio frequency because uh, just about every other flavor of radio frequency requires a separate network to be set up on premise that then controls the lock. So that's, right. that's what's really exciting about Wi-Fi. And that's why most uh, of the other guys have created uh, Bluetooth to Wi-Fi bridges or, or some sort of bridge to connect. You guys don't have to do that. Um, I'd be curious to ask you about, uh, you know, you, you designed and, and you first built your lock in 2012. Wi-Fi has come a long way since then. Uh, they've clearly been within the Wi-Fi world, trying, been trying to get to low-power Wi-Fi. Have you guys been able to take advantage of some of those advances with further iter further iterations uh, of the lock over time, putting new ingredient technology, new Wi-Fi in, in there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the chips uh, keep getting better, and we're obviously following that trend as uh, as low power Wi Fi chips improve, and uh, you know, it, it only gets better from here as well. I think you still have to do some creative things in order to make sure that you uh, let the batteries long uh, last longer. I'll tell you one of the things that we, uh, the way we accomplish that, for example, is we will. Uh, I, I mentioned it briefly earlier, but we'll pulse the uh, the lock or the Wi-Fi antenna. So we'll have it turn on and off. We won't have it remain always on. But we do things at, at the lock level whereby anybody pressing a keypad or any uh, action on the lock will instantly wake up the lock and get any messages. So it seems virtually real-time to the to the user because even if the lock is supposed to wake up only in one minute and the uh, but you want to let somebody in your property right away and you send a code 1234 to the lock 
when that user walks up to the lock and starts pressing one, two, three, four. Though the lock is not meant to wake up for another one minute, as soon as it uh, is, as it senses a key press, it'll wake up, get all the queued messages, and by the time the user gets to the end of their code four, then it will have all the lock will have downloaded that that's a valid code and it'll let the user in. So the point is from with things like this from the user's perspective, even though we're doing some uh, some tricky pulsing, uh, it seems real time. What is the battery length, typical battery length of the lock state uh, remote lock? And has that gotten better over time? Um, and does it vary widely depending on like, uh, you know, environmental factors and kind of the frequency of use? Uh, yes to the last two uh, questions. And we give consumers a choice with regard to how long they want their batteries to last and how frequently they want this pulsing to happen. Uh, there are situations where even in a commercial environment, you don't really need the thing to wake up more than in once an hour, maybe even once a day. Uh, and so really, the, the, the goal is to give the users options to extend battery life beyond a year. Now, of course, uh, that, as you pointed out, depends on usage and how often if you've got several hundred people coming in uh, every single day, then that obviously decreases the battery life some. But um, typically, I would say that the market expectation is uh, to be able to have batteries last for over a year. And the way that, uh, the way that happens is uh, through a very clean user interface on our cloud system so they can have a trade-off. And they can even flip back and forth between that trade-off, meaning uh, if they want a couple of days where they want it to be more responsive and pulsing more frequently, then they would, uh, they would choose just to do it for those few days and then turn it back to a more battery-saving mode. So that's typically what we're looking at. And, and to, to answer the other part of your question, yes, uh, it's something we're constantly getting better at. I think our first products uh, you know, were not nearly as good as they are now. We've really sort of uh, honed in on manipulating a lot of things that are saving battery life and making it a, 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 a product that is meeting the expectation of the market. And we're doing that through a number of factors, technologically right on the hardware on the board, uh, also through uh, how the UI re- interacts with it, all sorts of things like that. You guys are one of the few, or you're the only, I guess, uh, Wi-Fi lock out there that has a uh, a keypad on it. And so I'm actually, I've actually become a fan of the keypad. I'm currently using a Quickset uh, Z-Wave lock with keep with a physical button keypad, and I'll tell you why. Uh, and you know this certainly. Uh, you know, my family likes it a lot better because you don't actually need a phone. I think it's more kid friendly, quite honestly, because uh, kids don't necessarily have phones and. Older, mm-hmm. older person friendly too, because old people oftentimes don't have smartphones. So, um, talk about at least your decision. Th- those are actually advantages I actually see real value in for a physical button keypad. W- is that along the same lines of thinking you guys are thinking? Yeah, that is huge. I think you bring up a great point because um, we certainly have the capability to do all the other slick things that are coming out in what I'll call gadget locks. Uh, we we are definitely not positioning ourselves as a gadget lock. Uh, we really have a mantra here within LockState that if we're not solving a problem, then we've got no business being in that in that area and in that market. And so let's bring the point up that you brought from a consumer perspective where your kid comes home from school and you're not there and you want to be alerted when they walk in the door. This is a very common theme in smart locks. Uh, 
Uh, and in that instance, to your point, simply having your child know a code that they have to remember uh, is all they require to get in the house. If you layer on some of the other requirements if you, without a keypad, all of a sudden you need to have a smartphone. That smartphone has to have an application. Uh, you're adding every layer of technology that you're adding on top is a potential point of failure and could complicate, you know, it could, could really eliminate their ability to get in the house. And obviously when you're talking about door locks and getting in, you want that to always work. The other point I'll make with that also is uh, with all of our locks, all the codes are stored on the lock itself. So let's say the Internet goes down uh, and you've given somebody a temporary code to get in your house. Even though the internet is down, that code's already in the lock and it knows when it's allowed to let that person in and when that code is not to work. And so uh, a, a common misconception is that, oh, it's dependent on the internet in order to work. No, it's only dependent on the internet to get changes, updates, and deletions of codes and things like that. But the actual functioning all happens at the, at the device level. And I'll tell you where that – you mentioned a, uh, a scenario in the consumer area, but I'll, I'll give you a more uh, – prominent example in the vacation rental industry. When we first started shipping locks to these folks, it solved a huge problem for them because they were letting, they up until the time that people were using remote access locks or keypad locks, the method of getting a guest in for, say, Airbnb or uh, a VRBO or people that are renting out uh, vacation properties was to either mail them a key or to have somebody physically meet them at the property to exchange a key in order to let them in, or in the later days, uh, maybe putting a lockbox on premise and letting the guest access the key that way. Well, the, one of the major problems with any of these solutions is that every single guest that ever rented that location effectively could have copied the key and has access to the right, unit right. for all you know. I'm really glad you mentioned, because I was going to ask you about sharing economy and rental markets because I think it's a huge market and I think that's where you guys it's one of the markets you focused in on I think it's smart um, you know just from my own experience uh, going to South by Southwest this past year um, our our owner the property owner gave us uh, a keypad and or a key pin or a, a combo uh, to get into her place and I thought we because we were gonna we we're trying to think how are we gonna get our keys this could be painful. She didn't live there. It wasn't one of these properties where she lived there and she just gave it to us. Now it, it was an electronic lock. It wasn't a smart lock. And I think, you know, just for people to know, if they don't know, I think that, you know, there was electronic locks before there were smart locks. And those are basically just programmable locks where you can enter the uh, a code. And I think those are hugely valuable as well. But then you add the dimension of re uh, remotely being able to change that. So she doesn't have to come out. Um, I also think you guys right. have a unique spin on it with your algorithmic locks, which People don't have to come out either, and it's not a smart lock or network lock, which I think is interesting. I think you may have to explain that. So I rolled a lot into those, so maybe kind of walk sure. through a couple of those. Well, let me start with – yes, that, that, great question, multi-layer question. I'll, I'll, I'll hit them one at a time. Let me hit the <laughs> algorithm lock first since you brought it up. Yes, the, this was way back in uh, 2006 that we launched these products, and I, I can tell you that each time a customer would call in to buy it, we would start the conversation with, uh, now this lock does not need to be connected to the internet. And then we would explain that uh, it's an algorithmic technology and you go onto our website, you 
define the you you say the date and the time that your guest is going to start their vacation the date and time they're going to end and the and the website gives you a code and when they bring that when they uh use that code on the property at uh, on the lock on the property it will only be active for the time they're there and it's and unique list- to the, i just want to make sure people know it's unique is it unique to that specific specific lock not generally across all you know all models of that lock Yes, absolutely. It's unique, and there's some key factors that, uh, for security reasons, that are tied to it, facility codes and uh, serial codes, uh, and, and so things that make it only unique to that lock, of course. Otherwise, you know, you could open every single. I know lock that seems like a dumb question, but I think you know some people may go, "Well, wait a minute." <laughs> if you're, if you're well, gener- <laughs> no, it's a great question. I mean, because the confusion around this lock was uh, now what it what it delivered was. Awesome, and and many times I was going to say as a joke, I get you know one of our salespeople would get through an explanation of an algorithmic lock, and then the uh, the, the the person who was going to purchase it would say that all sounds great, but how does it connect again? You know, and so we'd have to start all yeah, over. Yeah, so, okay, yeah. the lock doesn't need to connect. Uh, there's an algorithm in the lock that is duplicated, for lack of a better explanation, on our website, and both of these algorithms are coming up with the same code for every specific period of time. And, and as you said, it's only geared toward that lock. So this, this uh, code that's given or the algorithm that's running will only work on that, uh, on that specific and that lock. So that actually makes so much sense for uh, you know, vacation rental people, Airbnb more recently, which wasn't a, really a thing in 2006. Uh, so I could see why you guys would already have your feet in that market. And then once you start to think about adding the additional... Uh, I guess technology around the network side. I think that makes a lot of sense. And you guys died further into the the rental market as you guys have start started going down the remote lock path. Absolutely. I mean, we've had uh, with with both our locks, we've had relationships with uh, what are the big, what was the biggest, and still is one of the biggest players in the vacation rental industry is uh, HomeAway Connect or uh, or VRBO, as many yep. people know them. Uh, so we have integrations with their software, with some of their software. So. Uh, at the time people uh, book their guests, they actually dip into our database and can deliver the code that lets the guest in as well. It's a really convenient way to uh, manage rental property. And that started with algorithmic lock, right? It started with algorithmic locks and then it extended to our Wi-Fi locks as well. By the way, on, on the algorithmic lock, uh, so many people still prefer that. And, and so we still have a very thriving business selling algorithmic locks, particularly people who have... Um, Places that are remote cabins are are uh, uh, are a perfect market for for that particular product because they have either spotty or no Wi-Fi, you know. So even in those situations, we can give people the ability to remotely control their property by uh, limiting the uh, the time the codes can access the uh, the unit. So. And the reason that we delved into Wi-Fi was because there are many, many people who wanted to take it a step further, uh, you know, speaking on the VRBO and then uh, I'll address Airbnb as well. And that is uh, Wi-Fi has become pretty ubiquitous. I mean, just about every single rental property is, is now equipped with Wi-Fi, mostly because the vacationers demand it. So since they've already got Wi-Fi, they want to know things like, when did my guest arrive, um, you know, with that, you can do all sorts of things. You can give them an arrival message. Uh, you can have peace of mind that they got there and there weren't any issues, uh, things like that. And then we're starting to layer on other applications uh, that'll help people manage things like cleaning crews. You know, when did my cleaning crew arrive? How long did they stay? 
Uh, is the unit ready for the next guest? So all sorts of things like that start with the ability to uh, detect um, if somebody's entered and, and unlock the door. So that's sort of how we were pushed into the need for a Wi-Fi connected lock. Can you give us any sort of insights into how substantial uh, the, sh- the the rental and the sharing economy businesses, and maybe even uh, you know as Airbnbs become a thing, you know how is that added to uh, the business? Because you know before that you had VRBO and vacation rentals was, was a thing, but you know Airbnb I think is a, a newer and different market in a sense, and that it's it's allowing people to rent their own. Uh, spaces as if they're acting like a hotel, and so they might have a higher turnover. Um, I could see that where that could be. Uh, I guess uh, dynamic-wise, that could be similar to VRBO, but I think it's a different market in a sense. Well, I'll give you some of the distinctions between the two. Um, VRBO has really had, or HomeAway has really had a, a lockhold on the vacation rental industry, and that's prom- prominently in resort areas. Uh, where people are vacationing, and then Airbnb's start was more urban, sure. in you know starting with rooms and still very popular with just rooms and portions of houses, and now they seem to be bleeding into uh, uh, some vacation rental and and also um, entire properties rather than just a room in a property. So I think the the two of those organizations originally carved out their territories in different um, in different demographics. You know, VRBO with vacationers, uh, or at least vacationers in resort areas with only entire units, and Airbnb in more urban areas. Uh, starting often, with often business travelers, business travelers, uh, couch surfers. I mean, you know, all, all sorts of demographics. And and Airbnb also has a very strong presence in Europe, I'll say as well. So I think the, the demographics where you see their uh, popularity are, are different right now. If you, I haven't done it and I certainly don't have privy, uh, I'm not privy to all the uh, um, locations and listings that Airbnb and VRBO have, but I'll bet if you did a heat map of just the continental US, uh, you would see high concentrations of VRBO listings in uh, South Florida, uh, South Carolina, maybe Alabama, Southern California, you know, or, and maybe some mountain towns like uh, Colorado in Vail, Colorado, places like that. And you would see a lot of Airbnb in urban areas, uh, you know, all the um, large cities around the country, San Francisco, of course, you know, New York, places like that. And what I think you'll find, though, is they're starting to move into each other's territories. Uh, and it'll be real interesting to see how that plays out over time. Um, since you brought up Airbnb, I'll say we also uh, are, are in discussions with them around solving a lot of their problems similar to the ones that we solved in uh, for HomeAway's uh, users in their market. So we really do see both of these companies coming to the forefront in um, looking at innovation in order to solve the problems their travelers have and their, and their hosts have. You guys have had a lower profile, I think, when you start to look at like kind of the, the- – the tech press and, and some of the other press around smart walks. Certainly you have, you know, some high profile founders uh, with August and any Bihar that helped them, I think a little bit. Um, you've had, uh, you know, an alignment with a, a high profile, one of the big three lock makers for, for Uniki and Kibo, but you guys have been chugging along doing your thing and doing fairly well. You know, talk about that. You guys did get a, a, an investment, I think, about a year ago. So you have attracted some venture investment. Talk about, you know, how you've seen things evolve and, and has, the, has the company attempted to raise this profile? Uh, great question and very timely question. Um, 
Historically, yes. We, we have always been uh, a company that is a lock company and focused on locks. So we came from the perspective of a manufacturer of, uh, of locks, heavily involved with markets that, um, that purchase locks and distribution of that and all of, all of those things around that industry. I think what you see with some of these newer players that you mentioned, August uh, you know, being one that's on top of mind, Kivo again, another one, these folks came at it a little bit differently from uh, the perspective of a gadget, I'll say, for lack of a better term. That's not to say that the lock isn't a great lock. I wouldn't lock. say Kivo's a gadget lock, though. Um, let's, let's say that they came at it from a technology perspective. I think that it was a very, and, and again, I'm not, uh, I'm not privy to, you know, how these, how these products came to pass, but, or, or, or the ideas behind them, but they certainly came at it from the perspective of, they wanted to invoke technology, sure, sure. uh, and apply it to the lock industry, which is a great, it's a, it's a great approach. Uh, we came at it from, we, we, knew the problems and issues of the lock industry, and we wanted to apply technology to those problems. And I think that harkens back to what we were talking about earlier around the fact that we've kept a keypad on our lock, uh, uh, on our primary Wi-Fi lock, because we recognize that this is an evolution into, let's say, Star Trek era. You know, do we think that eventually we get to the point where locks recognize the humans that are supposed to have access without any effort and automatically open the doors for them, absolutely, we'll, we will get there. Is, is the market ready for that today? Not quite. And, and I'll tell you why that is and some of the ways that that manifests. Um, just to bring up some of these other uh, products, the way that they typically unlock their doors requires that you have a smartphone because they're using Bluetooth to uh, tell the lock that you've got the key uh, and, and you, you, you're allowed in. Well, we think that uh, certainly in the VRBO and the Airbnb world, to require people to download an application onto their smartphone and then uh, ensure that you know, all the OSs are working properly, there's no problem with the smartphone, and then anybody who is a guest and wants to have access also has to have it on their smartphone. You know, th- this is the case if there's no keypad in some of the products. Uh, I will that- say I, I went straight to a key fob with the Kivo because I felt like having the phone – was a pain, and I also put one in my in the backpack. So I think, kind of, I, I I agree with you. It is pain. I think pulling out the phone's a pain. I think key fobs are kind of one bridge to that. But I, going even further, I do think the touchpad, as we talked about and you're talking about, is is even more convenient. Absolutely. I mean, and and I wouldn't disparage any of these other competitors. These are great products. I just think that the markets that we address uh, have different demands than what those products are offering right now, and that's you know, and 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 that's the evolution that we take. So we're trying to apply technology to solve a problem. Right. We're not trying to be a gadget. The last thing we want to be thought of is a gadget. You know, we want to be thought of as the company that has the lock platform that knows how to connect locks. Uh, to the internet, and you know, we do that for ourselves. And in fact, we're in discussions with many companies to help them put their locks uh, on the internet and 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 allow their customers to uh, get the advantages of a connected lock as well. So we look at this very agnostically, as we want to solve the problem and meet the market where it is, uh, it, to where they will actually find it valuable and helpful when they use our products rather than just, hey, this is, you know, gee whiz thing and I want to show it off to my friends. So that's the approach we take. Talk about locks takes place in the market and, and I, I kind of kept interrupting you with, with regards to are you trying to amplify your message now? You've had some investments. 
Um, maybe mention what happened there and then kind of uh, what's, what are you doing with the money? Yeah, absolutely. We did take some investment. I mean, we've always been a profitable company, uh, we, we, uh, and we continue to be. We've taken investment uh, in order to get this commercial product to, uh, to market, which is happening in October uh, next month. And so with that, I think what you'll see is that's going to be the springboard for us to really start trying to raise our profile in the marketplace. We finally think we have covered all the bases to really – uh, allow allow ubiquitous access to internet controlled locks and internet controlled access systems all on the same easy to use cloud uh, platform and so we've got a lot of these pieces that uh, that we've put together that nobody else has put together that way yet so we will look at starting to raise our profile now uh, I think you'll see a lot more um, we'll, we'll be present at a lot more events certainly a lot more partnerships we'll be announcing. You know, a couple. I, I I can't get into much detail about many of them. I can I can mention that we do have some partnerships going with Westinghouse as as one example. So you're starting to you'll you'll start to I hope uh, recognize our name. We really love to be commensurate with any discussion uh, that uh, revolves around internet controlled door locks. That that is definitely our mission and our hope. And just for the listeners' sake, who may have noticed that. Uh, Westinghouse is also, they're going to be in the second segment of this podcast. It was pure coincidence that I had both you guys independently invited to uh, the podcast. And I was talking to Kevin. I actually recorded that for them. He goes, say, he goes, uh, <laughs> to say hi to Nolan. So uh, you guys know each other. You mentioned that partnership. So you guys have been working together. Absolutely. I mean, as I said, we're very agnostic when it comes to this in, this industry. There's a lot of co-opetition that happens here. Uh, you know, we do have so we have all the components uh, of a total solution, right? We have we make uh, the firmware for the lock. We you know we make the hardware for the lock. We make the web application that uh, controls the lock. Uh, but that's not to say that I wouldn't put somebody else's lock on our web application because our, our web access control software is actually pretty slick in and of its own right. And, uh, and, and if somebody else wants to use it to control their locks, we're happy to license it in that manner. Conversely, if there are lock companies, you know, I'll say this hypothetically, but it's actually more than hypothetical for us, uh, if there are lock companies that that would like to Wi-Fi enable or internet enable their locks. They're already, they've been selling locks. Well, we've got an entire platform that we're happy to uh, put to use in, you know, across the market. So we're really looking at this agnostically. We want to be a, a platform and in addition to having the end devices, the edge devices as well. Well, there may be some listeners to this podcast that may be in that particular position. Um, so, hey, if, if they want to reach out to you guys, how do they get a hold of people at Loxy? How do they get a hold of you? Hold of you? Absolutely. Uh, obviously, our, our URL, uh, www.lockstate.com is, is probably the best place to start. Uh, I would uh, reach out to myself, Nolan Mondro, or uh, John Cargyle is a good uh, heads our marketing for PR, and it would be a great contact if, uh, if, if those are things that people would like to uh, talk to us about. We're very interested in uh, you know, in, in partnership opportunities. So I welcome uh, any sort of inbound inquiry. Awesome. Hey, Nolan, thanks for spending time with me today. Fantastic. Great to be here. Thanks a lot for your time too. And now for a message from our sponsor. This week's podcast is brought to you by Soundwall, a company that makes connected canvases that make great sound. This week I caught up with, well, my daughter, who's been using our new Soundwall, which also doubles as a chalkboard. I had to ask her about some of the art she's creating. 
Did you draw that pineapple? Yeah. And narwhals? Mm-hmm. I guess it says by... Cruz says, drew the face. That looks like uh, Alfred E. Newman. No, not really. It looks like a Muppet. Doesn't it look like a... This looks like a character from uh, the oatmeal, doesn't it? Do you know what the oatmeal is? Probably not appropriate for you. Nope. No, narwhals are kind of cute. Narwhals aren't that cute in real life, but they're cute in, like, drawings and stuff. You wouldn't want to, like, hug a real narwhal? No, they're not even that cute. They're just, like, they're not cart- that cute dolphins with really long horns. They're cute in cartoon form? Yeah. They're not that cute in real life. I never even heard of a narwhal until I was, like, older. I didn't even know they existed until I was an adult. <laughs> You're lucky. It's the age of narwhals. Soundwall, at the intersection of art, technology, and sound, and helping to usher in the age of narwhals. Check them out at soundwall.com. If you want to buy one, CEO Aaron Cohen has assured a 90-day money-back guarantee, as well as $100 off if you email him personally at Aaron at soundwall.com. That's A-A-R-O-N at soundwall.com. Once again, check them out. Let them know that Mike sent you. And now, back to the show. Hey, well, I'm glad to have Kevin Henderson, who is the CEO of Westinghouse Security, which is part of Stratech Advanced Logic. And we'll go into that stuff a little bit uh, later. You can kind of explain at a high level what you're doing. But thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. You know, the reason I reached out to you is I wanted to talk about the Nuclei, which is a combo smart lock and video doorbell and, and some other things, right. I think. It's a really interesting product that you guys actually have up on Indiegogo, which in itself is interesting because I think, you right. know, well, oftentimes when I think of crowdfunding, I uh, I think of startups, but you guys are a big, bigger company. Right, right. Yeah, we, uh, we've been down the path. Uh, I've developed a lot of products over the years and uh, that we found that uh, a lot of the a lot of the feedback on where to place your engineering resources aren't you know, aren't the best when you go through focus groups. And this let us uh, communicate with people directly and uh, get the information directly from them, have that robust discussion and debate. We love it. Well, we'll dive into the nuclei and we'll we'll get nerdy on it in just a little bit. <laughs> but for people to, to kind of understand where you're coming from, Kevin, and your company, tell us quickly about Westinghouse Security and, and the parent company, Stratech Advanced Logic. Sure. Uh, well, uh, Stratech Advanced Logic is uh, we do uh, a lot of engineering for security products and uh, for both uh, automotive and for uh, for the security lock business, access control. Uh, we do both uh, things that we develop for ourselves, and we also do uh, we, we do a lot of um, products that are OEM and private label for for other companies for. Westinghouse Security, which is part of Stratech Advanced Logic, uh, we uh, we manufacture a, a line of commercial door locks called the RTS, and uh, and then we are entering into the uh, residential small business market, uh, you know, with the Nucle, and um, and so uh, this uh, that's why we felt it was so important to uh, to really reach out. To consumers and uh, reach out to small businesses and find out, you know, where we should put our engineering resources within the nuclei. So we just packed it with features and uh, make sure that we, you know, we cover our bases when we get the requests, and then we put the appropriate resources into it. And I just want to quickly mention the Westinghouse name because I think you know most people are familiar with that, but you guys are part of a, a 
I think a broad constellation of different right. of, right. of Westinghouse uh, kind of brands, but you're not necessarily part of the the mothership, which is owned by CBS. That's right. That's or, right. Yeah, CBS is uh, you know it actually is the in effect the mothership for um, for Westinghouse Corporation, which is. Um, which does uh, as a group does about 4.7 billion dollars a year but uh you know but a lot of the pieces of Westinghouse are individual companies like Stratech Advanced Logic and uh and do you know a, a small fraction of that so so uh yeah a lot of the, the Westinghouse as a group has a pretty wide net uh but uh but it, it's a it's a loose relationship be the fair way to put it. All right, so we got all the corporate stuff out of the way. Let's dive in and talk about the nuclear because I think it's an interesting and intriguing product. Mm-hmm. And first off, let's talk radios. And sure, it is an interesting product. Uh, I think it's the first that I know of, and I have to, maybe I'm forgetting one that has Z-Wave, Bluetooth, and Wi-Fi in it, which right. is going to be an engineering feat. Yeah, uh, you know, from a battery perspective, I've seen oh, Wi-Fi. Sure. I've seen Wi-Fi send a few, one or two companies to their grave in the right. lock space, and a couple others maybe teetering on on uh, their, their mortality is in question. So, talk about how you made it work. Yeah, we uh, it took a it took quite a quite a time to uh, to solve all the technical problems that are that are part of having not only all of those radios. We have sensitive equipment in there, such we have an accelerometer in there that detects the motion of the device. It can detect when the door is open, when you open and close it. It locks automatically when you close it. All of those things uh, have to operate where they don't interfere with each other. And uh, the antennas on all those radios have to operate where they don't interfere with each other. So you got you know you got a technical issue and problems right there. And then of course you have your battery, and with that many things in the device, you got to go. To great lengths to get the to get keep the battery use down. We actually spent seven months designing the battery save circuit, and uh, we had to bring in uh, some true experts on the antenna to uh, to actually get make sure that none of the antennas are directly interfering with each other. So uh, it took uh, it took some time. It took some time and uh, and and a lot of effort to get there. Now we're we're very fortunate to be you know such a, a solid company you know financially and have all the support and uh, you know and all the backgrounds that we have to uh, to be able to do something like this. And for our no for our understanding, it's a, re- a complete replacement lock. It's not a right. It's not a, a I guess what I would call kind of a, a retrofit uh, lock that uses existing deadbolt or goes yeah, over like, the existing deadbolt, like the August is and that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, this is a, a direct replacement for a deadbolt. Uh, it'll fit in any deadbolt hole on your door. Uh, you can pretty much mount it on any door. And since the tailpiece doesn't run all the way through the device, you can the thickness of the door it has a, a wide variety of uh, options. So, uh, you know, you get. Uh, uh, just a, a huge variety of different places that a nuclei can go uh, compared to other locks. Let's talk about the camera. I think mm-hmm. um, you are the first that I've seen that also has a camera in it. Um, right. I mean, I've watched both independently, the smartwatch space as well as the video doorbell space. I think they're both kind of part of a broader cons- kind of consumer access control market, but I've yet to see them come together. Um, talk about yeah, we, that decision and, and kind of how that works. Yeah, we put a lot of thought into you know the features that are in the nuclei and it, we came to the conclusion that if you take 
you have the expense of creating the body, you know, the basic device. You're going to have a power supply. You got to have a lock body. You got to have some kind of interface, for, you know, for the user to be able to interact with it. You have to have, you know, if it's going to be a pen pad, you're going to put your pen pad on there. It's going to be some radios so you can communicate with the phone or whatever. Thing is, when you take the basic, whatever you define as the basic function of your lock, you're probably at 80% of the cost to manufacture that lock at that point in, uh, versus what it would cost to add a lot of these other features. Individually, these features are not outrageously expensive to add. So our logic came down to, well, yeah, if we add the CMOS camera, make it a, a nice wide field of view camera, what does that cost as a, as a feature? And we just analyzed each feature that way. And, you know, each feature we added, did, of course, does add some cost. But the, but the bottom line is that that cost is really, you know, minimal compared to the total cost of the device. So because you have all of the infrastructure you need for it, you, you have to have processing, you've got to be able to compress the images, you've got to be able to do a lot of things, but you already have that. So you're, you're down to just the cost of the camera assembly itself and the focusing assembly and the lens and the, all the waterproofing they need to do. But, you know, you're talking a, a pretty minor expense as a percentage of the full device. And that was true with a lot of the features that we added. And that was our logic behind it. You also have fingerprint recognition. Um, talk yep. about that. Is that done through the camera? How do, you, how do people um, put their fingerprint up there and how do you sense it? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a swipe sensor that's above the camera. Okay, it's on got a, it. It's got on it. a sliding area above the camera. Uh, the very top of the lock, we experimented with the angles and where it would go, and and a lot of th- and weatherizing it, and a lot of things. But, um, but yeah, it's a it's on the top of the lock, and uh, it can hold up to fifty users right now. We actually have experimental versions that hold a lot more than that on the same device. Uh, the Nucle is going to gain vast amounts of capability via firmware updates uh, once we release it in the next couple months. But we do include fingerprint recognition and uh, and many other ways to actuate the lock. And talk about – let's step back and talk about the software because you have an API, and you are going to allow third-party developers in t- to come in and develop Nuclei, which is also another interesting part of this. So talk about you know this platform you're creating and, yep. and you know how you're going to – uh, kind of, I guess, lay the soil for for some of the developers coming and kind of create things to, for that. Oh, sure. Yeah, you know, we we have we actually have two SDKs, and uh, we we have one SDK that we came up with, which was a uh, kind of a, an interesting take on an SDK, and we call it the um, it, it, it's the consumer SDK, if you will, and and what it does, it lets you customize a nuclei the physical hardware any way you want. You can remove menus. You can add menus that, that aren't shown right now. You can change the boot up screen. You can, you can remove our logo, put your own in there if you want on both the inner and the outer screens. Uh, you can remove features completely. You can make it where radios never turn on. Like say you didn't want to use Z-Wave or Bluetooth. You can Not only can you stop them from initializing they won't initialize at all when you boot the lock. When you and you, this is a Windows program, uh, you uh, connect to the lock via Wi-Fi, and you can reprogram how it the, the complete function of the device itself. So that's one SDK we produced for the embedded device, and then we did another SDK which is our API, and uh, for that it lets developers uh, develop apps 
And uh, those apps have two hooks. There's a hook in the device itself where you can add it as a menu option. You can also replace our menus completely. Uh, or you can, or, and or you can add it to our tray bar app, which is, uh, fits in the tray bar of the PC on your local network. And then the, t- the lock and the app will communicate with each other. So things like facial recognition are possible, voice recognition, a lot of other things on a Nucle, because it just communicates back with your computer whatever data it collects. That's fascinating. And so talk about the the steps you may have took to protect and kind of keep this thing safeguarded from a security standpoint, because I think um, you know one of the, the biggest, I think, concerns for folks with IoT more broadly sure. is, is around security. And, you know, I'm not talking about like access control security, just kind of making sure the network's secure and people – can't hack it, and it's particularly important with with regards to access control because it's your front door. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about the 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 steps and the measures you've taken there? Yeah, no, that's the biggest deal. That that it really is the biggest piece of our project and has been from the first day. And uh, you know, is coming up with all sorts of methods to not only uh, make the data difficult to get and make it difficult to do anything once you have it. And then make it difficult to implement anything to use it. So, you know, is to hit it three different ways. So we actually encrypt all communications uh, that are to and from the device and depends on the radio that's used. But each, each communication has its own encryption. We also tokenize the data inside the encrypted data. So if, even if you were to get the data out of it, it wouldn't be useful. And uh, we also encrypt the data and tokenize the data w- once it's stored inside the device. So if you have, if you were to somehow get access to the, to the data in the device, you'd still have to decrypt it and then figure out our tokenization method. So we have a great, we went to great, great lengths to protect the data. Getting back to the developer developers uh, SDK for the the third party developers, what are some of um, what are some applications you're envisioning? Because I'm, I'm I think it's great that you've you've opened it up to allow people allow people to develop. But I'm I'm kind of curious, what are some of the ways you uh, are seeing people at least already stepping forward, or maybe you envision people stepping forward and creating oh, we've got We've got an incredible. Uh, I'm amazed at this piece of it. We've got people who, uh, <laughs> I wish some of them are are are, are just funny things. Uh, you know, some of them are based on. Uh, you know, are things that happen when you have developed apps that cause things to happen when certain people actuate the door. Uh, there is one person who did a, a detector where it can detect finger signals from the camera and it opens the, it uses a hand signals to open the door. Another guy did, uh, worked on a, a voice recognition system for it that, he, that they're playing around with and it, they have that working now. Uh, it's going to be an app, I think, uh, that'll be launched, I think, in January. Um, there's, uh, I mean, there, the ideas that people have blow me away. Uh, there's another one that has a weather thing that it's an app, and it on the lock screens of the inside and the out, it has, uh, you know, it, it tells you if it's going to rain and a lot of other things. I mean, there's just so many things that people have thought up. I, I suspect next year there'll be, you know, dozens and of uh, of apps available. Talk a little bit about uh, any sort of work you've done with the broader smart home market. I'm curious to see if you know you guys are looking. I mean, obviously, when you have Z-Wave and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth in sure. there, to some extent, you're kind of bridging to what are what I would call standards. But you know, there's there's obviously frameworks like HomeKit and and kind of more sure. open source ones like uh, AllJoin. 
uh, that you could kind of incorporate. Are you doing any of that right now, or how do you see that, that happening going forward? Yeah, well, first of all, on the home kit, we actually on the Apple home kit, we actually does it. We had so many requests for that that we uh, we made it our stretch goal on the Indiegogo campaign um, for uh, for this next goal uh, to hit to create a special team just for the home kit. Uh, but that said, the, this the whole concept of this Indiegogo campaign that we've done is that's a big part of it, and and the and a big reason for it. You got to know where to put. You know, there's too many. Th- no matter how many engineers you have, there's too many standards and too many things you could potentially connect to. Especially when you have Z-Wave Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. I mean, there's a million kinds of phones and networks and uh, you know, and security systems and you name it. It's there, and you could spend unlimited amount of resources to do it. So you got to know where to focus those, and that's where our interaction with customers have really, uh, really guided us. I mean, people. We had many people ask for Wink and Iris. Uh, we've had a lot of people um, ask for smart things, home kit. Uh, we had a lot of people ask for uh, integration with the Samsung smart TVs to get real-time video notifications when somebody's at your door. We have motion detect in the Nucle, so it can detect when someone walks up. And to show them on your TV screen in a little pop-up window has been a request. We've received a lot. So we actually have a couple engineers working on that. Um, the uh, you know a lot of these things are going to require you know uh, either work from us or work from third parties via the SDK. We do have a good nine or ten developers on the SDK who where their entire function is to tie us in with other systems and other home automation things. So it'll there'll be quite a lot of that next year. So all these requests from your uh, backers and the community for all these different uh, smart home platforms, uh, you kind of just have like a, a, a queue at this point that you're kind of saying, yeah, we want to do that, but it's just going to take some time. Yeah. We, we either we're putting it together with people who uh, are developers, you know, the ones that want to do that kind of connection, we reach out to them or if it, we get enough requests and enough interest, you know, we'll put together uh, an engineering team to do, to create a plan for it. And uh, right now, uh, we uh, we completed our uh, our plan for the Z-Wave certification. It's a a level three Z-Wave certification, which is the highest level you can get as a Z-Wave controller. Uh, we're going through that right now, so it'll be a hub in addition to uh, a device that just hangs off the Z-Wave network. Um, there's a lot of things that 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 gains you. You gain over 800 uh, device compatibilities with that certification. Um, then there's Wink and Iris, which we're working on. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we we go to a, uh, we're really analyzing a lot of avenues to tie together. And since the nuclear so has so much power to it and so much capability, you can you know there's just an unlimited amount of things we can try to connect to. And you guys are still campaigning on. You have seven days left as of today, yeah. which is Friday. People may right. be hearing this on Saturday or Sunday. You have a few sure. days left on Indiegogo. You. As as of right now, you've reached one hundred eleven thousand dollars. Right, right. Um, and it looks like it's available to backers in November. You'll be shipping to right. backers. When's it going to be more broadly available? It'll be next year. Um, it'll be uh, spring of next year. Uh, would be you know where the mass quantities are are available. We're going to be shipping the uh, Indiegogo units throughout uh, November and December. And uh, some in, and uh, of the last ones will be, you know, maybe on the last couple of days will be like a January, early January. But um, 
I suspect uh, we'll get 90% of the Indiegogo ones shipped by December. and uh, But then uh, we'll begin the mass production, and that'll all happen. Um, well, some parts are being mass produced today, but, uh, but uh, all the assembly and testing and all the assembly line things will all be done in January. They'll be available March, I'd say. Even if it, you hit the stretch goal of HomeKit, will that be included? Because that actually requires uh, silicon. So is that something that you guys are, have factored in? It is. Okay. It is. And uh, we actually have uh, the ability – my understanding is that we, we actually are working with them. But my understanding is uh, that, uh, that there's a couple ways to go about that. So we're, we're – uh, we're analyzing that with them right now to see if there's any way we can get that kind of support in there uh, with the existing design of the Nucle. Got it. That's intriguing. I'm intrigued by that, so I'd like to hear more details. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, probably just because HomeKit's been such a, a focus, and oh, yeah. they've been fairly – the products have been rolling out fairly slowly, and I think Apple's being very cautious, um, which is part of the reason, So, which is probably good long run. Um, yep. From a channel perspective, uh, you know, where would we ultimately expect to see this in retail? Um, I mean, I don't because this is like one of your first true consumer products, where you know mm-hmm. you have the end user being the uh, just a put a, something that would put under a present under the Christmas tree, for example. Sure. You know, where, where would I? Where can you expect to see this eventually? Uh, eventually, it'll be in, in the big box retail uh, channels. It'll be you'll find it in uh, you know in the club stores. Uh, we'll, we're hoping club stores during the summer. Uh, it'll be in some of the in some of the retail outlets. Will be most likely destination next year. Uh, we have a lot of contacts uh, from previous products, other things that I've worked on over the years in those channels. So. Uh, I would guess that uh, that would be our primary channel. And the price point, it, this is a higher price uh, smart sure. lock. Um, when I look at the Indiegogo pricing, you know, right now I, I can't get one for under 338 bucks. What, right. What, what we, which is, it's it's a premium product when you compare it to like a Kivo, obviously. Oh, or sure. Something like that. So how much is it going to be priced at? It'll be around $400. Okay. That'll be my guess. It'll be a, it'll be a premium priced item. But then again, you know, some people are buying the uh, the electric the uh, programmable doorbells, which this has. Some people are buying motion detect with the camera on the front door, which this has. The electronic peephole function, where you can see who's in the front, which this has. A smartphone integration with things like Kivo, which is just Bluetooth, which this has. Or Z-Wave hubs, which this has. This has so much, and uh, you get it all in one place. And uh, you know, and with one installation and one app that controls the whole thing. And uh, it's a true all-in-one. So I, I think that does have some value to some people. And uh, that's what this uh, campaign is all about. Hey, what, one thing I didn't ask was um, about your, I, your intellectual property. Because of this, uh, sure. you know, a lot of stuff you put together. Over uh, 40 IP uh, uh, patents are involved in this device. Okay, you filed for 40. Any, any issued at this point? Or? No, none, none yet. Uh, some of them are granted from uh, from things I did uh, previously. You know, some of them are uh, things under license uh, that that are basically unreleased products that other people had. Uh, some of them are things that we did. I think uh, twenty three of them are ones that we filed independently. So, um, so yeah, um, there's a lot there. Yes, and, okay. Uh, 
I mean, there's so much. When you, when you really start drilling down, I mean, speaker and microphone uh, on the Nucle. Nucle provides telephone communications. We didn't even talk about that, right? You know, it, you get a phone on your – when someone comes to your door, it, you can talk to the person standing there. I don't know anybody that has that. Is that possible only through uh, someone who has an app, a Nucle app on their phone, or can you actually have someone yeah. do, do, go outside of that? Yeah, that's actually part of our business model. We have it where um, all the functions of the nuclear are free, by the way, and we didn't mention this too much. Um, you can do everything. The nuclear. A lot of people on something like this would definitely try to mine the monthly fee uh, water, uh, you know, uh, mine. But what we're doing is we're going to make everything free, kind of like Fitbit does, and then we'll have kind of a premium thing where you can see better reports and you can see better things, and it's, but it doesn't affect the functionality at all. Uh, one of the things we did was when you use the telephone capabilities the Nucle has, it makes a data call to to the app. And if you have a laptop, it'll you, it'll talk to the laptop. And you can talk to whoever's at your laptop. So let's say you're somewhere else in the house, you can talk to whoever it is real time from that, and you can open the door for them. If you're on your phone and you're remote, let's say you're out of the country or out of the state, it'll come in like a phone call. And uh, and you can talk to them, and that's a data call, and it calls the app, and we have an iOS app, and we have an Android app, and it'll it'll ring it just like Skype does on your, you know, on your smartphone, uh, and and you can talk to them real time. You and then the app gives you various controls. You can cause it to take an extra picture. You can, uh, you know, it, you can see their face, you know, because it it takes the initial snap, and you want it to take another snap at another angle. You can hit it again. It'll snap again, and it and it makes that your screen. Uh, also, the um, you know the app allows you to uh, leave a voicemail. So if they if it rings you, and you don't answer on your computer or on your smartphone, uh, it gives the option of a voicemail, and the person can just leave a message just like they would, and it shows up in your voicemail. So then you can check your messages on your door, and you can check them from your phone or your computer or directly on the door using our LCD screen. It's beautiful menus, and you can just. Listen to every, your messages and see, and you see images of everybody that was there, and, and a lot of neat things. Um, you can also leave messages for people. You know, let's say someone comes in, and you're not there, and you want a special message for them, and you know, someone comes to work on, hey, I'll be back in an hour. When it determines that that's them, when they type in their pen code or user fingerprint, it'll play that message back to them. So the Nucle has all sorts of features. It's very, very feature packed, and uh, I think. It's a you know it's kind of a it's kind of an all-in-one device where you know where ideas can kind of run amok, right? So we hope people will recognize it for you know for all the things it can do. Hey, well, thanks for spending some time with me. Thank you so much. And if you have any questions at all, just let me know. And uh, I uh, appreciate the time you spent with me. Well, that was it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hope you enjoyed listening to Kevin and Nolan getting all cut up on the world of smartwalks. A couple guys I actually haven't talked to. I've talked to a lot of the smartwalk folks. Those are two I haven't. And uh, I think the Nucle is actually really interesting. I've also been a fan of Blockstein. I think their approach has been good. Uh, so there are two companies that, that are interesting to watch. All right, folks, as always, if you want to subscribe to the Smart Home Show, you can find us on iTunes. You can also go to thesmarthomeshow.com, find us at technology.fm. Also, if you're a fan of the show, please also subscribe to the Smart Kitchen Show. Uh, I'd appreciate it as well. All right, folks, until next week, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>